0: This is Innovative States, Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange, a podcast presentation of the Ohio Israel Agriculture and Clean Tech Initiative, a project of the Negev Foundation. Stay tuned to learn about businesses, farmers, food producers, and researchers in Ohio and Israel who have joined together in the common pursuit of improving and modernizing the worlds of agriculture, clean tech, and food production, and discover what innovative opportunities the Ohio Israel Agriculture and Clean Tech Initiative can offer you. Here's your host for Innovative States, Sean Fink.
1: Shalom, and welcome to episode number four of Innovative States, Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange. On this month's edition, we'll be joined by Gal Cidus. She's an attorney and vice president of Israeli specialty food importer and distributor Cidus. She'll discuss opportunities in the Israeli market for U.S. food producers. We'll also hear from Oren Kleinberger, technical manager of Atlanta Pure Water in Marietta, Georgia. They're a company that produces custom solutions for water treatment, and they've found beneficial partnerships with Israeli companies which have aided in their production of their products. And in our News You Can Use segment, we'll introduce you to an Israeli startup that's found a way to make vegan food substitutes more appealing.
0: Food production.
1: We begin this episode of Innovative States in Israel, where I caught up with Gal Cidas, an attorney who's the vice president of her family company, Cidas. They're a company with a long storied history of importing specialty foods from around the world to the Israeli market. Gal's additional roles on the boards of the Tel Aviv and Central Chamber of Commerce and the Israeli Institution of Standards have given her a unique perspective about what it takes for food producers in the U.S. and Europe to succeed in Israel. We're joined now by Gal Cidas. She is the vice president and legal consultant to a fascinating company, Sidas, one of Israel's largest food importers. It's spelled S-I-D-E-S in English. We're going to find out what opportunities exist to work with Cetus and companies like Cetus in Israel for our American partners. Gal, welcome to Innovative States. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about Cetus and the role that food products from foreign markets play in Israel today.
2: We have uh, started actually about 70 years ago, my grandparents as wholesalers, because Israel was by then closed for importation. It was a young country and very interested in protecting the local emerging manufacturing companies. And basically, the only things that you could sell were were local brands. And that started to change around the 70s. But we still experienced a lot of, I would say, non-tariff barriers, which basically still blocked the continuous flow of uh, of brands into Israel and created quite a local market. And since then, much to do with the openness of uh, Israel and Israelis to traveling and the fact that the cost of living here is among uh, one of the highest of the world. So Tel Aviv won this very uh, challenging prize of being the most expensive city in the world last year, and we're now down to number three, which is probably still quite challenging. Yes, thank you for that. So these two factors, the fact that Israel and Israelis became much more open to the world, and on the other hand, the fact that importation is now considered to be one of the potential solutions for the high cost of living made importation much more important within the Israeli portfolio. And what we see indeed is that most of the international brands are now not only available in Israel, but a lot of them are finding Israel now to be a very interesting country to open facilities in uh, and operate directly in.
1: What are some of the key points about operating in Israel that a food processor should know?
2: The only difference perhaps from processes that you see in the world where a company will go and operate directly in a country where it reaches a a certain threshold when it comes to turnover and profitability is that Israel is more complex when it comes to kosher and to labeling. We have elements that are very specific to the country. And this actually prevented companies, international companies to work with Israel for many years. On the other hand, Israel is a growing FMCG market, which is not necessarily the situation elsewhere. One, because of the development and the richness of the country, I would say. And second, because we still give birth to new kids. We have a positive growth rate it comes to the population itself and we also see that in recent years premium is uh, a growth driver within the market so you have uh, a growing fmcg market the growing population uh, a growing part of on premium and on the other hand a developing private label market so we started with basically no private label we're now at about 6.7 percent Out of total FMCG they're expecting that next year it will be about double that. So a lot of opportunities from general size but also from top to bottom makes it much more interesting. The ability to work directly or in a closer proximity obviously makes the barriers or the challenges of kosher and labeling a bit more close to heart and therefore solvable. Once you understand the Israeli potential then you look at at all of these as an extra business factor that you need to take into consideration and not necessarily a barrier as it was viewed
1: in the past. I'm glad you mentioned kashrut, adherence to and certification of that adherence to Jewish dietary laws. For many food producers, kashrut may be a new concept, certainly as it applies to deciding to do business in Israel. So let's take a few moments to dive deeper into that concept. If I'm correct, kosher certification is not necessarily a requirement to do business in Israel, but it has definite benefits in appealing to a larger audience in Israel, correct?
2: As you said, kashrut is not a, a must, but it is a kind of a commercial need because most of the trade in Israel requires kosher for the listing. So Shufel Sal, for example, which is the largest key count in Israel, responsible for about 20% of total fast-moving consumer goods sales, will not list you if you're not kosher. So if you wanna have a wide enough distribution in the market, The products needs to be kosher.
1: Are kosher consumers the majority in Israel? And if not, then are the additional costs and stringencies associated with kosher supervision worth the investment?
2: Actually, the people who are declaring themselves as secular are still the majority. And definitely when it comes to specific lines of, of products, you would say that they are more inclined to purchase them. And then why would you need the kosher? you need the kosher for the for the availability, uh, not necessarily for the consumption itself. And, and this is rule number one. Rule number two would be that on some products, Israel is unique on kosher. So it has its own kosher rules to the level that the same Jewish person eating the same product in Israel and outside of Israel the product would need to go through a different process. And that is basically relevant for baked products, for products uh, which are going through any kind of um, cooking or heating method. Uh, Canned tuna would be a good example. Products that are made out of milk, not milk powder, but but raw milk, and also wine. So these would be the the groups that Israel will, will require a unique kosher.
1: Gal this is our guest. Gal, I'm sure the process of obtaining kosher certification sounds intimidating to many manufacturers. Is it as difficult a process as it sounds?
2: At least when it comes to the first two I mentioned, which are Afiat Israel, these are for the baked products, and Bishul Israel, which are for the, uh, let's say, cooked products. It's a process. It's not necessarily a very complicated one, because it's mostly a supervision on the production and not necessarily a change from the raw materials, which are the same kosher materials that you would use for kosher production in the US. The secret, in a way, is really to look at at return on investment. If Israel is an interesting enough market, and it is for many brands, then investing in dedicated supervision which can be done by local supervisors with less traveling expenses should be worthwhile and i always recommend my suppliers to look at kosher as a sort of a marketing element as you would invest in design or something that that would be a, a unique selling proposition for your, for your item and and you need to find the right supplier of kosher and you need to make sure that the prices are correct and that the service that you're given is correct and then it's a part of the cost of doing business
1: so having kosher certification in israel is a value-added component exactly is it part of your role as an importer then to work with food processors to evaluate the cost benefit factor in obtaining kosher certification
2: we definitely assist what i always as i say recommend my suppliers is to consider it as a, as a cost of doing business factor uh, like you would consider any other cost of doing business factor. And then you need to see whether it's worth your while versus the potential turnover and the costs. The immediate withdrawal from anything that sounds like kosher is a mistake because the potential can be quite significant.
1: Switching gears, is there a cachet or a certain prestige to foreign branding in Israel?
2: I think Israel, in many categories, is a very branded market. It's true that it's changing like any other market. Consumers are becoming a bit more challenging on what they're consuming, what what is the brand, and what stands behind it. So it, it's not the same. Um, you know, I believe everything that the brands tells me. And uh, so, so the, the consumer is becoming, you know, a bit more sophisticated, challenging, uh, looking for information. But just the fact that I mentioned before, that private label in Israel is still on a smaller scale. And in most categories, especially the indulgence ones, you see that the, the leadership is given to, to brand names and to brands is probably the best answer to your question.
1: I would imagine with such a large and constantly growing immigrant community and immigrants from such a diverse range of countries that you would find more Israeli consumers craving products that represent a taste of home.
2: Definitely. We are even talking about Israeli cities, which are becoming hubs for certain immigrants. So there have been in Israel uh, several waves of of USSR. Now you need to be very uh, (laughs) Russian or Ukrainian or that came to Israel. One wave was the 17, another was the 90s, another was about uh, uh, 10 years after that. And you can see that in these specific uh, cities, you will find many more delicatessens of of non-kosher products. You will find designated products that they are more inclined and love. You can find uh, cities which have a lot of, uh, let's say, French uh, immigration And uh, you will find, you know, the bakeries and the confiteurs. So definitely food is always a culture. People are bringing with them and and they want to to consume their culture. and, And it has its influence, of course.
1: Are there specific products that immigrants to Israel are requesting and they can't find readily available in Israel? I, I can think of one particular item my friends who've made Aliyah immigrated from uh, the U.S. to Israel have mentioned that they're unable to find.
2: Well, yes, I, I must admit that less and less in the past, there were so many things that were missing and and now uh, most of them can be found. We see that mostly on like new launches of brands that we represent and People would say, uh, you know, why, why didn't you bring the, I don't know, vegan lint chocolate uh, just yet or something like that. But I'm very curious to hear which one did you hear
1: about? American style peanut butter.
2: Ah, OK. I, I can tell you that it's one of my projects and a very challenging one because you really want to bring the good type. Uh, and I'm looking for the 100% like pure peanut. I, I was in, in, in contact with a few American companies and, and, and still looking.
1: So let's say the executives at Smucker's, a fine Ohio company that happened to make a very good kosher certified natural peanut butter, incidentally, are, are listening right now and they decide to bring their product to the Israeli market. What advice, Gal Sidis, would you give them or any other food producer looking to enter Israel?
2: First of all, I think there's uh, a lot to be said about the matchmaking. You need to find the right distributor. So you don't want to go and and connect yourself to somebody that has a trading office, but basically no real ability to go and, and do the actual sales and the actual distribution and the actual merchandising, because what these companies tend to do is simply go and pay third parties to do the work for them, and therefore, obviously, the, you know, the cost- chain is becoming uh, longer and less managed or controlled.
1: So it's important to ensure that a producer, especially one that may not immediately have name recognition in Israel, finds a distributor that's able to give them the proper attention and the resources to help that brand enter the market.
2: This is one thing, but it's also a matter of, of matching the size. So if you're, let's say, a medium brand, And you're going to one of the mega distributors, the ones that are connected to the super ultra brands of the world. So eventually you'll find yourself as, you know, one, two, three percent of their turnover. And, you know, we're all people and we know that we tend to give much more attention to the big chunks in our lives and less to the smaller chunks in our life. And therefore you might find yourself in an amazing system which on paper has it all. They have uh, wonderful staff and, and wonderful warehouses and wonderful systems, but nobody really gives you the attention that you believe you deserve. So there's also a lot to be said for adapting to the right size
1: Sounds like it's not a one-size-fits-all type of approach. There's a number of variables you've mentioned already a manufacturer needs to consider before entering the Israeli market.
2: It's also a matter of, of matching the size. So if you're, let's say, a medium brand and you're going to one of the mega distributors, the ones that are connected to this, the super ultra brands of the world, So eventually you'll find yourself as, you know, one, two, three percent of their turnover. And, you know, we're all people and we know that we tend to give much more attention to the big chunks in our lives and less to the smaller chunks in our life. And therefore, you might find yourself in an amazing system which on paper has it all. They have uh, wonderful staff and and wonderful warehouses and wonderful systems, but nobody really gives you the attention that you believe you deserve. So there's also a lot to be said for adapting to the right size. And also if there is some sort of a speciality, for example, we define ourselves as experts in, in impulse products. We've been representing Mars for thirty years in Israel. We're doing uh, currently Lint and Haribo and uh, Corny and you know Terra Chips. This is kind of a specific speciality to know how to market, to know how to distribute products that are of an impulse nature. And if you're giving a wonderful impulse product to a wonderful distributor that does, I don't know, uh, chilled products meat products, the probability is that you will not be able to enjoy the said expertise.
1: That's a lot of information for a food processor from outside Israel uh, to evaluate when eyeing the Israeli market. You're able to provide a wealth of assistance via your role as not just vice president at SIDAS, but also as uh, a member of the executive committee of the Tel Aviv Central Chamber of Commerce and the Israeli Institution of Standards. Can you break it down to a few fine points for our listeners?
2: So to summarize, I would say find, first of all, a distributor that is really a one-stop shop. Second, find a distributor of your right size, that in the portfolio, you will be big enough, not too big to carry all the costs, but but big enough to receive enough attention and try to find the, the distributor with your specific expertise, whatever it is. And such a distributor can really get you through the motions as far as regulation and as far as kosher and as far as listing and as far as uh, strategic planning. All of these can be done for you and should be done for you if the other boxes are ticked.
1: Is there a particular success story that Cetus has had with an international brand that you think points to the ability of foreign producers to uh, find success in Israel?
2: Luckily, we have many. The most recent one that comes to mind is Haribo. I think it ticks a lot of the boxes that we just uh, just mentioned. Uh, Haribo, um, as you may know, is, is the w- number one gummy candy brand in the world. And they didn't sell officially in Israel until less than two years ago because they didn't have a kosher product.
1: Gummy bears and candies, I would imagine, are a difficult product when it comes to kosher production.
2: Gummies is usually manufactured. Manufactured with pork gelatin. So it wasn't even an on the go kind of a kosher project. It really needed some extra effort on Haribo part. Uh, it involves uh, the cleaning of the lines and the changing of the gelatin from the pork gelatin to a fish gelatin, which is much more expensive and to do dedicated production, it's 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 a complex uh, endeavor.
1: I'm assuming Haribo realized some benefit to bringing their product to Israel and making a kosher version of their gummy candies.
2: Eventually, they decided to launch a kosher product. They approached a few distributors in Israel. One of them was, I believe, the one that is known to be the biggest in the market. And the reason that they decided not to do business with them eventually, as far as I know, is that size factor, the fact that you know they might be an amazing brand, but still within the portfolio of the said distributor, they're going to be too small uh, to get the the attention that they deserve. They approached us. We had a long negotiation and and decided to start working together. After less than two years of mutual work, the brand is already brand number two in the market, enjoys more than 70% weighted availability.
1: Do they have to make any concessions as a result of changing to a kosher formulation for sale in Israel?
2: We have a very limited range due to these kosher challenges, only five SKUs, and it's hard to stretch them because of, of the barriers and, and all of these achievements that I'm stating are under all of these. So still number two in the market, the most growing brand in the market, increased the category generally, an amazing uh, success story, which, you know, we still are Far from acknowledging or or seeing the tip, there's so much to do. And I do believe that it will be even a greater success story this year.
1: Gal, for our listeners who are in the food production business in the US and are wondering how to bring their product to Israel, what are the initial steps they should engage in?
2: In our technological world, there's various ways to go and find the list of of relevant distributors. But obviously, this is where you should start, because as I mentioned before, the right distributor can take you through the motions of regulatory checks and kosher checks and variety checks towards the demand and the market definitions of the market so this is definitely where i would start if you would start doing all of these prehand you might just you know get lost in in complexity while this is what a good distributor should provide you with you can find them through the various commercial attachés and i also act as vice president of the food division of the icc in israel so they have an international department that gives services matching services between distributors and brands. Definitely, this is where
1: I would start. And if they want to get in touch with you directly, how can they do that?
2: Just look for CDES Only the Best online. And my email is galgal.com dot cides, which is s i d e s at cides.co.il.
1: Our guest has been Gal Sidis, an attorney and expert in the field of food importation and distribution in Israel vice president of and legal consultant to Sidis, one of Israel's leading food importers and distributors Gal Todaraba thank you for spending this time with us Thank you so much John I can tell you I'm looking forward to trying some of those kosher Haribo gummy bears very soon
0: Innovative States
1: News. Here's Innovative States News you can use. Israeli startup Revel has recently announced that they've developed a method of growing what they term ghost proteins. Those could change one of the biggest issues facing vegan substitutes for animal protein, the texture that dairy-free cheeses and other items often suffer from, a result of their lack of animal protein. Previously, food manufacturers relied on supplementing their plant-based alternative products with protein from peas, soy, and other sources, but those left the products with strange aftertastes or weird textures. Israeli tech site NoCamels.com reports that Breville's solution relies instead on a pair of breakthroughs involving chlorella. That's a microalgae protein, which is also an ingredient commonly used in health supplements and which has a strong and unpleasant seaweed flavor. Where Breville steps in is with their scientists, who were able to not only develop a high protein variant of chlorella, but also a secret patented process, which removes the off-putting flavor. Breville reports the initial commercial use of their new chlorella product will be in a line of dairy-free cheeses from V Garden. A developer of plant-based foods, it plans to bring the chlorella cheese to store shelves by the end of 2023. Breville will manufacture and process the chlorella at a facility they're building in kibbutz Yotvata in southern Israel. They envision the freshwater algae based protein will also appear in a variety of plant based foods including vegan dairy, fish, and seafood products. Over the course of two years, Revel developed a special fermentation process for their chlorella, which uses stainless steel fermenters lined with LED lights that allows the chlorella to grow indoors and develop its full nutritional value, which can typically only be done in full sunlight. When cultivated outdoors, the sunlight allows chlorella to fully develop its high protein count and nutritional advantages, but chlorella requires a vast amount of space and resources. Breville's hybrid method combines the advantages of both indoor and outdoor methods. Chlorella boasts a host of nutritional benefits, including numerous vitamins, minerals, healthy fats, and fiber. You can learn more about Chlorella at breville.co.il. That's B R E V E L.co.il. And that's Innovative States news you can use
0: visit ohioisrael.org for more information about OIACI partnerships, missions to Israel and more. ohioisrael.org is your gateway to the latest innovations in ag, clean tech and food production from leading companies and researchers in Ohio and Israel.
1: You're listening to Innovative States: Ohio, Israel and the Impact of Exchange. I'm your host, Sean Fink. Water treatment Thank you for tuning in. This is episode number four of Innovative States, Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange. I'm Sean Fink. Atlanta Pure Water in Marietta, Georgia has been an industry leader in the design, manufacture, installation, and commissioning of bespoke water treatment solutions for more than 20 years. Their technical manager, Oren Kleinberger, joins us now to discuss why they've found success partnering with Israeli companies. Our next guest on Innovative States, Orin Kleinberger. He comes to us not from Ohio or Israel, but Marietta, Georgia, where he's the technical manager at Atlanta Pure Water. Oren, welcome to Innovative States.
3: Uh, thank you, Sean. Glad to be here. Oren, tell us,
1: please, a little bit about Atlanta Pure Water and uh, the products you offer.
3: Atlanta Pure Water is a water technology company that works in a variety of sectors, drinking water, wastewater, We focus on wastewater polishing and water reuse, as well as what you would call package water treatment plants for small to medium size, up to maybe not quite a large application, but industrial applications, agricultural applications. And we try to tailor our products to the customer's needs and requests in a unique fashion
1: what makes atlanta pure water unique and how easily can your products be tailored to specific clients needs
3: we work domestically and internationally basically whatever the customer needs we try to accommodate so if the customer says we have this water quality coming out and uh, we are needing to meet very specific standard for either water reuse or for a government compliance application. We'll work with that client to produce the product that specifically meets their needs. We try to not offer cookie cutter approaches. We try to offer custom approaches to very specific water requests, and, and that allows us to provide competitive industrial solutions, often that's where we partner with Israeli companies because that's one of their specialties, custom solutions for a variety of applications instead of more of the big cookie cutter approach that is often used in larger companies in the United States.
1: Over the last several years, your company's developed very successful relationships and partnerships with a few companies in Israel. How did that come to be? And how have those relationships been beneficial to Atlanta Pure Water?
3: It's been a long road. I've been with the company over 10 years and we've have many Israeli partner companies. One I'd like to mention is Otis filtering in Israel. And they are uh, one of our companies that we've been working with for many years now. It's been something where we found a relationship with these Israeli companies over the years, and it's just grown and blossomed into uh, an amazing relationship. And we've learned that these Israeli companies, uh, when we partner with them on different projects, can often offer a unique concept or approach or viewpoint to solving complex or basic problems that we might face and the idea of solving the problem and not a bunch of problems not the cookie cutter idea but the very specific approach to solving just what the customer needs and tailoring a solution For a very specific application, has been one of the approaches we found that the Israelis are very strong at. So we've been growing those relationships over the years, and it's been really good.
1: So the Israeli companies brought a different approach to the table. Why do you think that is?
3: I think that given the economy and the cultural barriers and the land barriers from which they have to work with, they had to deal with problems internally. And they're not a very large country. And so they designed this very specific approach to solving just the problem, not more, not less per application. They started in agriculture in different areas, realizing they had water reuse or water scarcity issues. And they grew from that in an amazing way, very smart and innovative people over there. So I think that over the years, just based on their situation, they've developed a very unique approach to solving water related issues that can have a lot of value around the world. So they designed specific solutions for their region, but now internationally and in the United States and in our region, we find great value to their A unique approach to solving problems.
1: Were there cultural barriers that you needed to work through in establishing these relationships?
3: Israelis are very direct. They have a very unique mentality. At Atlanta Pure Water, we value a close relationship with our companies that we work with. So we try to Take whatever minimal cultural barriers that we find in working with Israelis and try to simplify it so that our customers can work with us and we work with Israel on specific projects. It's more of a seamless process for our customers. And for us, we are professionals at dealing with Israel and the nuances in dealing with international business. It has really been mostly just a a very positive thing.
1: And you're able to offer a wide open market and larger scale in which to prove the viability of these Israeli solutions.
3: Exactly. Israel is a very small country and America is a great testing ground for a variety of Israeli technologies and approaches. And we've uh, implemented a variety of these technologies in America with great success. And the customer feedback has been very, very positive.
1: What role have the Negev Foundation and OIACI played in your collaborations with your Israeli partners?
3: We've worked with Julia and Sam at Negev. They first contacted Otis, who then put us in touch as a local representative. It makes it a lot easier sometimes to implement a project and get it going on the road when you have a partner like Negev. I can give a very specific example. We had a antique duck pond at Kingwood Center Gardens that we recently partnered with Negev to implement a very unique design to save water and keep the duck pond in a pristine condition after they did a, a big renovation. So this is an example of Ohio water project where we were able to implement Israeli technology uh, with the help of Negev and OIACI.
1: Who found whom? Were you aware of the possibilities in Israel or was it a fortunate happenstance?
3: Negev found us. Otis is a well-known entity in Israel. Uh, When Negev was looking for clean tech water companies, Otis was one of the main recommended choices. And so we've just been growing and building the relationship from there.
1: Oren Kleinberger is with us. He's technical manager at Atlanta Pure Water. Oren, I would imagine that technology has helped to accelerate the processes involved when working with international partners. Can you talk a bit about what the workflow is when you join up with Israeli companies?
3: As you mentioned, it's a new age we live in, and that's even made it easier than in the beginning stages. 20 years ago, 10 years ago, it wasn't quite as easy as it even is today. When there's a specific application, we design for that application. And then our engineers work with their engineers and the customer's engineers. And there's a lot of communication as the project gets designed. And then as the project moves along, we have an opportunity to bring in the technical team at different stages, all the way to the commissioning process. So we'll design, we'll ask a lot of questions, we'll make sure we're trying not to miss anything. And then as we commission. The project, if there's anything additional we need to compensate for at that point, we could bring the Israeli engineers online, let them log into the system directly, provide feedback, and we can solve any problems on site that might be unforeseen. And so, what I've noticed is because of these custom solutions that we offer, and a company like Otis does design, manufacturing, engineering all under one roof allows them to have a lot of versatility, more versatility than most companies. It actually is an easier process than often working with a bigger company. And with us as an intermediary company that helps to implement the technology, It makes the whole process easier from what we've seen than maybe some other applications where a customer might be trying to work directly with an international entity.
1: And based on your company's portfolio of work, it sounds then like you've been able to adapt these products for a number of uses around the U.S. and the world.
3: Yes, no doubt. We've worked in a variety of sectors, ag sectors. Water reuse is a really big one. Drinking water sectors, pretty much any water area we have had experience and we've been able to implement israeli technology in many of these projects
1: or in water conservation is on everyone's mind we know that here in the u.s there's ongoing drought conditions in california out west uh, israel is a country that lives in virtually constant need of water uh, is that what's led to their development of flexible wastewater treatment solutions
3: that's correct as you know most of the israeli wastewater is recycled for ag purposes and other purposes, even contaminated wells in Israel, which have been contaminated due to ag or industrial applications. They've designed specific solutions to handle specific wells to bring them back up to a drinking water quality. That's also an issue we're seeing here in the United States where drinking water quality standards are increasing, and they're finding new chemicals that we need to remove. These are all very specific applications, which oftentimes Israeli technology is a great benefit to bring over here and offer to the United States slash Ohio. North America for a variety of applications.
1: So there's truth to the old cliche about necessity being the mother of invention. It sounds like that need for clean water is what's given your Israeli partners a competitive edge that they can then bring to the international market.
3: No doubt. And and in the case of Otis, they've been around for uh, over 40 years, lots of experience, especially in the ag sector, then branching into reverse osmosis, water reuse. I want to focus on water reuse for just a minute because as that is one of the advantages of some of these Israeli companies, where they can polish wastewater in unique ways, taking a design and modifying it a little bit to where it's more effective to reduce certain parameters in the water. It seems to be that Based on our experience, a lot of Israeli technologies are superior in some of these ways.
1: Earlier, you told us about one of your Ohio installations, that one at Kingwood Center in Mansfield, Ohio, part of their restoration project involving a 100-plus-year-old duck pond, which will ensure that their beloved ducks will have clean water for many years to come. Do you see other opportunities for Atlanta Pure Water to deploy Israeli technology in Ohio?
3: To be honest, we want to grow in Ohio. We want to bring water reuse technology to Ohio. We know that water is not necessarily deficient in the Ohio region. But we feel like some of our water reuse technology and some of our drinking water technology could be very useful for maybe reducing forever chemicals out of the water, which is a new big thing here in in the United States that's being focused on.
1: What about algal blooms, such as those that develop on Lake Erie? Can your products offer solutions for dealing with them?
3: Oh, yeah. We can work on phosphor, even like lead issues like they have over in Michigan. Those are all definitely within our wheelhouse with our Israeli partners or uh, otherwise, we feel very confident in handling a lot of these issues on the small to medium scale. We've noticed that in the United States, there is more demand for small to medium-sized, localized package water treatment plants for communities, for industry. We can help industry dispose of their wastewater in a ecological fashion to meet the local standards so they don't have to feel like they are polluting. They could either recycle the water internally or they can dispose of it and know that they're taking out the contaminants that would pollute the environment.
1: I'm sure that our listeners will be interested in learning more about your solutions and the benefits that they'll see by employing your products and the technology you've imported from your Israeli partners. How can they get in touch with you, Oren?
3: Our website is currently at atlantapurewater.com. And either me or, or a member of my team would be happy to do a site visit or consult over the phone and figure out what the specific needs are of the project and make sure that we're the right fit. And oftentimes, uh, hopefully we would be the the perfect fit for. For a variety of applications over in the Ohio region.
1: Our guest, Orin Kleinberger, Technical Manager of Atlanta Pure Water, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sean. This has been episode four of Innovative States Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the work of OIACI in creating and nurturing partnerships between researchers, food producers, policymakers, farmers, and creative thinkers in Ohio and Israel. For additional information about OIACI and how you too can get involved in developing a partnership through OIACI, please visit ohioisrael.org or email info at ohioisrael.org. That's ohioisrael.org or info at ohioisrael.org. Innovative States is a podcast presentation of the Ohio Israel Agriculture and Clean Tech Initiative, a project of the Negev Foundation, produced and hosted by Sean Fink. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us again next month for another edition of Innovative States, Ohio, Israel, and the Impact of Exchange.